you're now tuned into the Don't Dumb Down Your Greatness podcast, where we explore the habits, tactics, and secrets behind the most inspiring entrepreneurs, thinkers, and leaders. No, first of all, we have Alex Conrad on the show today. Alex, thank you so much for coming through. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Yeah, I didn't give any, we didn't have any prep time, man. I'm going to just dig right in, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I like to do it. It's all good. You know, uh, you know, um, I actually read a lot of your stuff over the years. Um, so, uh, honestly, you know, I never really read the bylines. Right. Um, and so for people who don't know, Alex is, uh, you know, a, a Forbes staff writer, but he's been a journalist for quite a quite a while now. Um, and a lot of the pieces that I like uh, are mostly from you. Um, so, so just thank you for being. You're just you're just flattering me, Anthony. You you already said you don't read the byline. I don't, I don't, I don't read the byline, man. But I went back and just like I'll be honest with you. You know, I'll be honest. You know, sometimes I just read stuff, and I think that's the nature of online journalism today. To be honest, with you, is that most people they click, they read something, and they just keep going. But there's sometimes where you just read something, and you just know that it's, it's someone who really has a lot of experience. Um, asking the right questions, you know, um, to individuals. And so I want to dig into that a little bit. But first, before I do, I just kind of want to, could you kind of give uh, a little bit of background on yourself? You know, I know you're, you know, you're a Forbes staff writer, but you have a lot of history before that. So could you give us a background? Yeah. So uh, I grew up in New York City. Um, haven't, you know, I lived four miles from where I grew up. So not, not the bravest maybe, but, uh, it, it was good. And then, uh, went up to college at Harvard in Boston where, uh, I, my first job, my first real job was at a test prep company <laughs> where I was, uh, literally I was like, you know, Kaplan and all those guys who do like, uh, SAT prep. Yeah. Well, we were, we were like a bunch of college kids who were like, we'll do that for half the price, basically. <laughs> so I came back to New York, and anyone who was too cheap to spend a lot of money on a real tutor, they, they would go to me, and I would help their kids. So, so that was fun. Um, I actually became a manager of that company, and uh, it, it, was a, it was acquired, and the founder of that company now actually runs a pretty well-known really big startup out of LA. So it's just funny how, what a small world it is, but I obviously, that was not my long-term career. I went to uh, work in public radio for, for, uh, internship and then ended up at fortune magazine where I was a writer for several years before ultimately switching to Forbes. That's interesting. So like, how did you, you know, uh, you know, so right now, like a lot of your pieces are, um, I would say, I would say you're one of the top, you know, writers at Forbes. And so how do you feel like you got to that place to where um, you're highly regarded and you actually get cover stories and you're actually like uh, are well respected as a journalist? What do you think made you different and made your rise to the top? I would say, uh, you know, what, what defined your rise to the top? I would say. Yeah, well, I guess I guess, Anthony, for me, it's it's. Uh... I'm always I've always got this little uh, voice in my head that's kind of asking if I'm doing enough or if I could be uh, hustling more or if I could be putting in a little bit more time. So so it's actually hard for me to do my job because I, I feel guilty when I'm not working. You know, it's probably unhealthy. I haven't taken a vacation this year. Everyone tells me I'm crazy. I need to take a vacation, but I just don't know when I would go. You know, I, I can barely I, you know I can barely 
unplugged for for a few hours. So for me, I think it's just been always this sort of inner inner. I don't know if you want to call it drive or insecurity or sort of a desire to succeed, but there's like you know this little clock that goes off where I'm like you know push a little bit yeah. harder. Did you, did you did you always have that, or is that something you just kind of developed as you uh, over time? Well, you know, I'm going to out myself as a huge nerd. When I was a little kid, I was a very competitive chess player uh, at public school in in New York. Uh, My public school was uh, one of the best in the country at chess, funnily enough. And so they taught it as a main class, like that everybody had to take as a little kid. And so I got really competitive from chess and I learned to... uh, how to study, how to sort of try to have an edge. And of course, you know, if you worked a little bit harder, you would see the difference when you went head to head with someone, you know, just face to face. So my dad tells a story about how one time, like this little kid, I was maybe nine years old, the kid across from me, we were playing late at night and he fell asleep and all these parents were freaking out. But, you know, by tournament rules, no one could say anything. And so they're all just silently freaking out while I just sat there for an hour staring at the kid without making a sound until his, his clock ran out and I won the match. <laughs> and my dad was like, you know, I, I, he was like, I was proud, but I was also a little concerned. Like, is this kid crazy? <laughs> well, man, it paid off, man. And, and so you, you get a chance to speak to and interview some of the, you know, I would say most wealthiest individuals and most successful uh, you know, business people in the world, um, you know, what advice can you give to um, individuals who are looking to become journalists and do a lot of interviews? Like, what advice can you can you give as far as like how to ask the right question? So I think the, the number one thing is to think about what makes a good listener. So sometimes people have something they want to say and they just they don't really know how to say it or really to come to terms with what they want to talk about. And so you kind of have to probe and prod and, 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 and just very sort of, you know, patiently figure out kind of, okay, where are they going with this? Or maybe, you know, this answer sounds really cheesy. What do they really want to say? And, and kind of just wait for that. So actually my favorite, um, my favorite piece of advice is to just kind of practice hearing people's stories whether it's, you know, at a bar or from your grandma's friends, but, you know, just let people talk and you can pretty much find a good narrative out of anybody I've found, you know, I mean, I guess I'm kind of always doing that in a way. I mean, that's why I kind of use this podcast as a way for me to just talk to interesting people. You know, um, it's one of the ways I really learned how to, you know, kind of hone the craft to ask the right questions and, you know, one of the things I always try to do is, is I'm a little selfish. You know, sometimes I just questions that I would want to know the answer to. It's because I'm all about like self-development, personal development. So I'm going to ask Alex, man, how do you ask the right questions? You know, what do you do? <laughs> what do you, you know? So because because to me, those are important. You know, um, I, you know, I think well, a lot of people. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think, I think, you know, if you have the question, uh, I'm sure a lot of people probably have the same question. So I don't think that's actually that selfish. You know, if, if you meet someone, you know, and, and, and really you're just dying to know, you know, why did you choose to do that movie or why did you, why did you invest in this company when everybody thought it was a bad idea? You know, I, I feel like you're, we're not alone in kind of the way we think often. And so more often than not, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are going to say, 
Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked that question. Yeah. That's the question I wanted somebody to exactly, ask, you know? Exactly. Sort of like my next question is how do you stay so damn consistent? Like, so like there are a lot of people, uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine. She's like, Oh man, I'm, I want to write. Uh, you know, I, I don't have, you know, I got writer's block or I got, you know, and all these different things. And so like, um, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to be a consistent writer, whether it be for a book or whether it be for articles on a blog? You know, what keeps you most consistent? How activity hacks can you give? Yeah, so a couple, a couple ones. One is I always picture that my family and friends are going to be reading what I'm writing, you know, at the end of the day. And so if I'm, if I'm halfway through something and I feel like it – it doesn't ring true to me or it just, you know, something doesn't feel right. I, I will just start over. I mean, I, I'm not going to like pretend and be like, Hey, everybody read this article if I don't feel good about it. So I'd say that's sort of one thing. But then the other thing in terms of consistency is I, I spend probably half my time of writing, just getting in the right frame of mind to write. So whether it's the right music, whether it's, just, you know, making sure that I feel rested, but, you know, usually the best writing I do, I, um, I'm pumped. I'm like, it's go time. It's, I'm going to write this. And then maybe I'll read it the next day and say, okay, that was, that's mostly, mostly there, you know, not all the way, but, but no, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna totally trick myself and say, oh yeah, I can just write, write this, you know, during a half hour of the World Series game. Like, that's not going to happen. I'd exactly. rather just watch the exactly. World Series. That's interesting because sometimes, you know, I feel a little bit self-conscious, you know, where if I don't get, you know, uh, a lot done. So you're saying, yo, sometimes just let it go, right? Like, just kind of, if you got writer's block. I think, I think well, yeah, I mean, I would say one of the funniest things is so I'm, I'm usually behind on my email. Sometimes I, one of my biggest problems is I, I kind of take on too many things and then I'm constantly feeling like I'm chasing and catching up and I'm not going to get there. One of the most like liberating things that I've started doing is to just let stuff go. Just be honest and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I, I wanted to help you out. Or I wanted to take this on. But I, you know, I got to sleep. I'm not going to hurt my health to, to do this. So I'll still help you maybe a couple of days from now. But it's, it's just not happening today, you know, and, and just kind of accept that I can't do everything. And I find that people are usually pretty understanding. Now, I'm not saying be lazy, but I am saying, you know, uh, you shouldn't, at least for me, I'm 27. I'm too old to be doing all nighters all the time, man. So, so I, you know, at some point you just got to say, okay, I'll, I'll deal with this the next day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, man, it's still, you know, 27, I'm 30. I just turned 30 this year. So, um, you know, 27, uh, to me, a lot of still, a lot of, still a lot of people do all nights, <laughs> but I think that's what separates you from the successful do you feel like i mean from the unsuccessful and so do you feel like there are certain habits that you do in the morning that really makes you you know um different from um others you know do you feel like there are successful habits that you've taken on well i would say i my recommendation is to try to to you know break your day up into chunks so the first thing i do is kind of catch up on the news and kind of quickly just go over everything that's that's coming up for me in the day and you know right back to the most important emails and then I try to like actually work you know I, I think we spend so much time these days responding to texts and emails and sort of just 
pushing paper without actually doing the thing that makes us interesting. And so for me, you know, as much as possible, I'm trying to get into that frame of reference where I can just ignore my phone for a couple hours and, and just grind. Yeah, it's kind of that sometimes, you know, you think the world's ending, you know, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm obsessed with Twitter. Everyone should follow me at Alex R. Conrad with a K. But I mean, I sometimes I got to I got to close it out and say, wait a second, I have three tabs open that are all Twitter. You know, that's a problem. Yeah, I do that a lot, too, man. I love Twitter. You know, I don't eat as much. I kind of listen a lot more than I talk. So on Twitter, like it's a lot of listening for me. I just kind of look and see what's going on in the world in different, you know, different areas and stuff like that. And so, I mean, so speaking of Twitter, man, like it's kind of flipped the journalism world upside down in ways, you know. So, you know, how has Twitter affected your work, you know? And now, on honestly, I'll even go deeper and say beyond Twitter, just social media and blogs in general. Like everybody's a journalist now, and so. And what I mean that in a in, in in a good way and in a bad way, but in your in your opinion, like how do you feel that you know journalists have real journalists have themselves now that so much you know uh, content is being produced and anyone is being allowed to be called called that? Yeah, I think uh, anyone can be a journalist, but not anyone can be a good journalist. You know, I mean, I. I can play a pickup basketball game and I'm not joining the Warriors anytime soon. So, so I think, I think the social media gives us access to real time information and to raise voices that we want to listen to, but we wouldn't hear otherwise. That is unprecedented the way that it can do that. So I think, you know, if there's a protest happening somewhere and someone streams the video over Twitter or Facebook or something. I think that's amazing. I, you know, if reporters are there, that's a good thing too. But I, where the reporters are different is they know they know context. They know the right people to ask questions of. They hopefully can tell a story in a good way so that even if you and I were both at the same event, uh, we would write very different things from it. And you know, maybe you're the one streaming it on your phone, and people are watching that in real time. And then my story the next day kind of puts it in a different perspective. You know, I, I think there's room for both. There definitely is room for both. Um, you know, and so do you feel like there's still room for media, for successful media companies to be born? Because right now, you know, media is in such a, a weird place um, to where some investors doesn't, don't even want to really put money behind it. Um, what do you feel about the state of, and you cover a lot of VC firms. And so I feel like, you know, a lot about VC and I've even seen journalists who are in your position become partners at firms. And so what is your perspective on media startups in general? Yeah, I think, uh, it goes kind of both ways for me. I think the, the media business is very difficult and it can be easy to, uh, kind of think that you have a more original idea than you do when you actually look at the realities of how these businesses have to make money, which is still largely either subscriptions or advertising. So are you helping brands or are you helping an audience that's paying for it? And I think uh, too many startups maybe think, oh, I'm going to be the different one. I'm going to be the the special child there. And then they kind of face the real world. That said, though, I mean, I think that 
in this era of social media and, and information, people have personal brands. And if they, if they're known for something and they want, they can build a business around something they do that is unique. I don't see why it can't succeed. I mean, I love like Zach Lowe, the sports writer. And if he does a basketball website, I'm probably going to read it. And, and I guess, you know, the Bill Simmons site is maybe not a great example, but we've seen other sites that kind of do get popular out of nowhere because they're unique mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah, this is great stuff, man. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to ask a million dollar question. Man. Um, and it really comes to this. You've interviewed and spoken to some of the you know most successful people ever. I would love to know, like, what do you feel like are the common traits or the common characteristics of what makes a successful person based on the people that you've interviewed and the people you've come across? Um, what do you feel like they have that many people um, don't seem to realize or don't or, or in search of or in quest of the, to, to get? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously... It's hard for me to to be too perfect on this answer because if I if I knew I'd be even more successful, but I do I do think there are a couple there are a couple things I usually see. I think one is you have to have a good eye for talent around you. So people who surround themselves with other people who want to be successful or other people who have something to say or something to give to the world, and then they bet on those people, it usually raises them up too. So if you talk, you know, if you look at any sort of really successful CEO or successful investor or, or even, you know, like athletes I've met, you know, they always had like a big group of supporters and friends who were with them for a big part of the way, you know, like people might talk about how they're loners or whatever, but I guarantee you, you'll find somebody that they went out of their way to to get involved, that was a big difference. And so so I think that's that's one is kind of like, do you have a good eye for talent around you to bring out the best in you? And then I think I think the other big one for me is you kind of have to almost have a a false sense of confidence or just sort of a delusion that things are going to work out. Because otherwise I, I you know I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, of, of concrete examples, but there are definitely plenty of founders whose, you know, startups were not looking good, looked like they might fail. And they were just like, no, we'll figure it out. You know, if we keep going, we'll get through. And then they become a massive hit and everybody's like, oh, it was obvious from the beginning. But, but, you know, I mean, we all, we all look back at success and say, oh, it was so obvious. And I, I think usually it's not. And these guys, you know, whether it's Kevin Plank at Under Armour or it's, you know, someone building a software company, these guys just, I think, all have the sense that they're going to get there and almost, you know, almost frustrate people around them by being so <laughs> confident about it. So optimism is definitely one of the, the ingredients of success, no matter what. Or just or just a refusal, a stubbornness, you know, a refusal to give in. You know, I mean, yeah. I think I think plenty of CEOs don't tell their employees, but they go to bed worried about their business or they're, they're, you know, freaking out about something, but they just kind of keep taking each of those punches and and learning from them. And and there isn't any one that will kind of knock them out. If that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. It's like the Kanye effect, you know, you got to go out there and act like Kanye, man, you know, (laughs) (laughs) 
you gotta you gotta try. I mean, I don't know if we all can get a platform that we can we can sing from, you know, floating in the air. I would love that. Right, right. So, hey, you know, it was a pleasure to meet you in general, man. And I actually, I got a chance. For those who don't know, I met Alex when I got an interview on Cheddar TV. Uh, he interviewed me um, about my. He interviewed me about New Adventure Partners. And it was just, you know, I was just dumbfounded, like, yo, like, I had no clue you would even be there. So it was just kind of, like, dope to, uh, to to finally meet the face behind so many dope, you know, articles being read. But, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, what you're doing, Anthony, what you're doing is cool, too. I mean, Newark, Newark Venture Partners is, you know, I think it's really important that you guys do what you're doing. And, and I hope that you feel the same way about kind of that opportunity that um, it can be kind of whatever you make of it, really. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, what do you feel like, on a, you know, because you come to venture capital pretty closely as well. Like, those are one of your specialties. Um, you know, what do you feel like new firms, you know, especially venture capital firms, you know, from, from, your, from your viewpoint, um, what do you feel like makes a successful venture capital firm? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's a couple things. They have a firm has to be more than sort of one person. It has to have like a real team. Otherwise it's really just someone with, uh, you know, a fancy name on the door. I, you know, I think, I think would your founders be excited when your name comes up? You know, like, I think that's, that's almost the, the toughest question, right. Is like, if, you know, if, if you were to, uh, be out with, with, with people and, and, and say, Oh, um, Newark venture partners. Oh my God. They helped me sign, you know, hire my most important, uh, VP, or they, they made this amazing connection for me. Uh, you know, if you're not adding quality, uh, value like that, then you're kind of just money. Right. And that's, that's no fun. So I, I think the real venture, you know, the best venture firms, build a reputation for just constantly opening doors. And, and, yeah. and then I think a brand comes around that. So, you know, if, if you're saying, Oh, I, you know, we want to stand out from the rest, it's because they found this company and that company. And, and I do think that our industry is a little bit too like referential where it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, you know, what, what's your biggest deal? I'm just going to sort of judge you based on that. I, you know, I, I think it's probably a little more complicated than that, but I'm curious what you think. I mean, yeah, I mean, you gave a great answer. You know, um, I, I stand by the same thing. Um, and also I think I can even say that your answer expands beyond venture capital. I think just being a person in general, you know, your name comes up <laughs> and people say this person helped me do this or this person helped me do that. I think just being a person of value is key. And if you could be a, a business of value or a venture capital firm of value, that's even more key. And so thank you for that. Um, you know, thank you for, you know, taking some time out to speak with me, man. I know we've been trying to done. And so I'm happy. I, I'm pretty sure people got super value out of your, uh, out of your wisdom, man. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. Well, I, I hope so. I mean, I'm always, I'm always around to, uh, to talk to anyone. So, so if anyone listening wants to tweet at me or shoot me an email, you can find my email on my Twitter account, but I've pretty much found if there's any real takeaway, you know, if, if you're polite to people and if you, if you rep- approach them in a thoughtful way with a way that they can actually very clearly help you, people are really nice, man. I mean, I mean, if, if, if they think you're just reaching out because you reached out to 20 people and, and it's kind of impersonal, they might not write back to you. But I've usually found that if I 
went the extra mile to kind of prove why I really needed someone's help. You know, people in this world actually gems, still give man. help. Gems, I don't know. Gems, gems. People listen. <laughs> you give it in the way, man. You give it in the way. I love it. Um, this is great. I mean, honestly, I didn't know you how you would respond when I was like, hey, man, you want to chat? You know, and I just, you know, it was just a genuine, really a genuine reach out. You know, we saw each other in person, but still, it was just a genuine reach out. It's just kind of see like, hey, when you're interested in just like talking to me and, you know, my community. So I thank you for that, man. No, I, I enjoy the I enjoy the opportunity and, and hope I, I really hope that someone is listening and, and does reach out to us so that we can keep the connections going because because that's what it's all about.